This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The news and hirings across the league continue here on this Wednesday afternoon as we welcome you into Hockey Central 960 here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Haley Salvin here with you for the next hour. We're going to be joined in about five minutes by Ian Mendez. He covers the Ottawa Senators for The Athletic. He's going on a vacation to Italy on Thursday. And so we're going to catch him before he takes off. And hopefully there's some news on the Sens sale before he jets off. Uh, so we'll be joined with Ian Mendez shortly later on in the show. Chris Mason, former NHLer, now analyst for the Nashville Predators for Bally Sports, is going to join us in the second half of the hour. But first, uh, some of the headlines of the day. As expected, Brad Tree Living has been named the Toronto Maple Leafs' new general manager after the Leafs parted ways with Kyle Dubas. Tree Living, as we know, mutually parted ways with the Flames this offseason. Um, it seemed like sin- ever since the day that Kyle Dubas was dismissed by the Leafs, it, it felt like it was Brad Tree Living's job to lose in Toronto, despite some of the reporting that uh, the Flames were not going to let Tree Living interview until his contract expired. We know that that changed. Obviously, we know that now uh, with Tree Living getting a job in Toronto, um, you know, he checks the experience box emphatically, and that is what the Toronto Maple Leafs needed because of the timing and how much work needs to be done this offseason with that roster. I mean, uh, Austin Matthews is the biggest one. He is unsigned beyond next season. And he has a no-move clause kicking in on July 1st. His contract is a huge priority for Trill Living now that he's going to be the general manager. And if we look at some of the other veteran GM options that could have replaced Kyle Dubas we're looking at the same crop of GMs that we talked about on this on this program when Craig Conroy was hired it's the Mark Bergevin Chuck Fletcher Jason Botterill if we're looking at guys with GM experience in the NHL Brad Tree Living in my opinion was the best option I think we can argue and we can debate about some of the moves that he made but I also think we need to understand that some of the things that Brad Tree Living is going to be able to do in Toronto is going to be different than Calgary and that is not a knock on the city of Calgary it is a great place to live and work I love the city but I do think that Calgary's on a lot of no trade lists um, we know that the team will sometimes need to overpay a free agent to entice them to go to Calgary again uh, that is a Canadian market, and that is colder. I think that's a, that is actually a thing for players, and it has you know pretty old facilities and old saddle dome. We saw Mackenzie Weger say this season we need a new arena. So I think there are things that Brad Tree Living was maybe up against in Calgary that he won't be against in Toronto. Of course, it's going to take some time to see how he fares in Toronto. The microscope is going to be. Pretty big in that market, but that's the news of the day. And Tree Living's going to meet with the media as he's introduced tomorrow at 11 Eastern time in Toronto. So we can break that down um, and take a look at the avail deeper on tomorrow's show. Um, Some other news that happened just before the show. Ron Francis has signed a three-year contract extension as general manager of the Seattle Kraken. He guided the Kraken to their first playoff appearance in year two of the team's existence. 
He went a different way than Vegas in the expansion draft, as we discussed on the show yesterday, how aggressive Vegas was with their side deals, with their free agency signings, with um, some of the trades that they made in year two, three, and four of that team's own existence. I think people didn't really like the Kraken's draft at first, but I think GMs were wiser to the side deals the second time around after watching Vegas win so many of those deals and make it all the way to the Stanley Cup final. So it probably wasn't fair to hold Ron Francis to the same standard as the Vegas Golden Knights. I think he made some savvy moves, some good pickups in the expansion draft. Jared McCann, 40-goal scorer this year. He picked Matty Benier second overall. He's sure to win the Calder this season. He got Oliver Bjorkstrand for basically nothing in the summer, and they've got more cap flexibility than Vegas, um, some young players. So I'd say he's done a pretty good job in Seattle. Um, so that's a little bit more news of the day with the Kraken before we get to Ian Mendez. Um, and finally, we're going to talk about this some more with our second guest of the show. As mentioned, Chris Mason is going to be joining the program. But the Nashville Predators have officially hired Andrew Brunette to be their next head coach. Brunette replaces John Hines, who had one year left on his contract behind the bench in Nashville. So this is kind of interesting. There's lots of history here with Andrew Brunette and Barry Trotz, who's officially going to be the general manager of the team on July 1st, when David Poyle officially retires as general manager. But the first coach in Predators history, Barry Trotz, in his first managerial role in his career, has handed the coaching reins to the player, Andrew Burnett, who scored the first goal in Predators history back in 1998. Little fun fact, lots of history there with Barry Trotz, the Nashville Predators, and Andrew Burnett. We'll dig into that a little bit more with Chris Mason when he joins the show later on in the hour. But for now, we're going to go to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline as we're joined by Ian Mendez. He is the Ottawa Senators beat reporter and does some great national work over at The Athletic, one of my colleagues, former podcast co-host. He joins us now. Ian, how are we doing today? Oh, the disdain in your voice, former podcast co-host. Yes, you've upgraded. So anyway, Uh, good. I mean, I talk by myself. I've upgraded to hosting alone. Exactly. It's an an upgrade. (laughs) Yeah. How we doing? You uh, you all oh. packed? Did you push the Italian vacation another oh three years? Goodness. How we doing? How's the uh, like? <laughs> how's so, the feeling? So, this is unbelievable. So the benefit of the listeners, and I tweeted this out yesterday. But the benefit of the listeners, my wife and I were supposed to go. Like a lot of people, you had plans in the spring summer of 2020. We were supposed to go on a yes. uh, trip to Italy. It obviously got canceled. The world shut down, yada, yada, yada. We all know what happened. Well, we kept kicking the can down the road. We're like, oh, we got to find a time that works. I was like, let's do it. Let's do it in the spring of 2023. And I'll tell you, Haley, I book, we booked these tickets. The Senators played a game against Seattle in like January and they got smoked like eight to three or something. And they mm-hmm. were like in last place. And I said to my wife, They're, like, not only are they not going to the Stanley Cup final, they're not making the playoffs. I think we're going to be safe to book these tickets. So we book it. We're going to leave June 1st, go for, you know, 10 days. And sure enough, the ownership story that the never ending saga of who's going to own the Ottawa Senators looks like it's going to bleed into the start of my trip, uh, which Mm -hmm. is tomorrow night. 
Great. That's great. I love that for you. I, uh, it's okay. I, you know what? I spoke to our editor and I am free to put my Senator's cap back on while you were back on. I've got you, my friend. This is a much needed help, but uh, just to, I'm going to show up trying to do something about ownership after, you know, talking about the flames GM search for weeks. It's going to be that, uh, the meme of the dog sitting at the computer and it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. That's me oh talking about the new owner of the Ottawa Senators whenever that happens. Maybe you'll be well, back before it happens. No. So so here's my best guess for people wondering, like, when is this sale going to wrap? Is if you use history as any bit of a, like, as a guide here, um, one thing I think, and you, you tell me if you think I'm wrong, um, but the NHL usually, Haley, doesn't like major announcements in and around mm-hmm. the Stanley Cup. Like, usually yes. when you get to game one, like, the rule is kind of, hey, 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 just save it now for two weeks. So my feeling is, if I had to guess, today's Wednesday, that by Friday there'll be a pro- – and, again, this is just an educated guess – maybe a preliminary announcement. We have secu- uh, selected the preferred bidder, and then you're going to hear nothing for two weeks while they kind of work on, on the due diligence and the, the – dotting of the I's and the crossing of the T's. But that's my feeling. Like, I think once you get to game one on Saturday night and it's, it's Florida and Vegas, the league really likes all of the focus to be there. And I'm not saying that it's yep. impossible that news camper, it can, but in a, in a preferred world, I think the Pittsburgh, uh, well, we're seeing in Toronto, right? True living gets done uh, in time before Saturday. I'm guessing maybe Pittsburgh will find out whether it's Kyle Dubas or somebody else. We'll find that out by Friday, and I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that the same thing holds true for Ottawa. Mm-hmm. We talked about that on the show yesterday, actually, because it feels like between now and Saturday. So I guess Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is going to be when all the GMs and all the coaches and all the firings are going to be announced. Because then, once Gary Bettman has his press conference to open up the Stanley Cup Final, then it's like, all right, <laughs> let's not take the attention away from this. Uh, so I'm with you. It feels like we're going to end up having a bit of a, a dead zone, but we'll see. Um, you know, there were some rumors over the last few weeks that the Ann Lauer bid was going to be tapped as the, the one that wins, but it seems like a preferred bidder has not been selected just yet. Can I get your sense on, on the latest of what's going on with the sale, Ian, and, and where you think things are at? Yeah, and, and, and I, and I want to be real clear. Like, I think it's been really hard, Haley, to try and nail down a front runner and say, mm-hmm. okay, you know what? Uh, Michael Landlauer is in the lead, or I hear good things about Steve Apostolopoulos, or, uh, you know, the Kimmels, they really, you know, they, they want this. I, I, I think in the absence of really tangible information, I think a lot of us have been edu- uh, operating with really educated guesses. And I don't think there's anybody outside of, uh, the five or six people who are sitting at that table, and that would be part of the Eugene Melnick estate, uh, the NHL, and the firm that's handling this sale. Outside of those people, I don't know that you would find anybody, Haley, that would say, I would bet my house on knowing who's going to get the team. And that's remarkable because we're, uh, today's the last day of May, okay? Mm-hmm. So they handed in the, the final bids. Am, am, I, am I reminding you that like some rent is due or like some, you have some bills to pay? Like, <laughs> I, I got to pay you my bills tomorrow. Pay, pay. Yeah, exactly. See, this is why I'm, I'm bringing it up. So 
the remarkable thing is the bids were due May 15th, okay? Mm. I think in talking to a lot of people who have seen this process play itself out, they figured at most it would be seven days from then. They, they were like, you know, it might even be three days, but seven days is plenty. You'll get your preferred bidder, and away we go. What I think is really fascinating is not only do we not have a preferred bidder here two weeks later on the 31st of May, but that it really feels like four groups believe they're still alive. Now, whether or not they're alive, I don't know. But I can tell you they all think they're alive, and they all are feeling like we're very much engaged and, and we're very hopeful and we're confident. And uh, So I think it's really almost a fruitless exercise to say, boy, I really think Michael Anlauer is going to get the team, or I think it's going to be Kimmel or Apostolopoulos or Nico Sparks, because I don't know that any of us on the outside really know. And, and that has turned this into one of the more fascinating uh, sale, and certainly one of the most public sale processes we've ever seen of a professional sports franchise, and certainly I think one of the most interesting ones that at some point I think there'll be space for a, a deep dive into, like, what happened here? Like, how did it get yeah. so public? Why did it get so drawn Definitely. out? Um, and, and, you know, and I think there's a lot of interest in that. And I don't know if the parties will be willing to speak, but I think there's a great fascination with, like, who the heck is Nico Sparks? And, it, like, you know, it, it, whether he gets the team or not, there's, I think, a little bit of an infatuation into, like, how, how did this guy work his way into the table and, and, and put together a bid that was aggressive and uh, allowed them to stay afloat for, for a couple of weeks? Like, like, what, like, what happened here behind closed doors? And I, I think there's going to be some, there'll be some interesting fallout. Like, I think there'll be, whoever loses, there'll be three losing parties. I don't know that all of them will be publicly uh, willing to speak or angry, but I think there'll be a lot of disappointment and exhaustion that I think will be uh, expressed in some, some manner here. And you know what? And Elliot Friedman was kind of interesting. He was kind of hand-waving or trying to fleck at some of what might be going on behind the scenes on 32 Thoughts podcast, you know, looking at. Yeah. It's almost turned into a bit of a mess, that process. But I will say it seems like since that May 15th deadline, we've heard a lot less speculation. So it seems like once the deadline came, you know, the the group and the Melnick's daughters, they've kind of locked things down a little bit better, but it does seem like there might be a lot going on behind the scenes. Um, what do you think the holdup has been? Do you think it's some of that drama that we don't quite know about yet, Ian? Or do you think it's, you know, them just doing their due diligence? Gary Bettman said this about a month ago. This is not some race to the finish line here. There's time to find the right new owner for the Ottawa Senators. Maybe it's a mix of both, but what do you think is taking so much time? Yeah, it, 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 it's a really good question, right? And, and one that, again, we're only led to speculate. But, you know, one of the things I was told that, that's really interesting about the dynamic of the sale is it's not your traditional sale of a sports team. Like, you know, pick, your, pick a team, you know, whether it's the Calgary Flames or, you know, whatever team out there. If they're put on the market sold, it's not – usually it's not an estate sale. Like, this is an estate sale. So there's an extra layer of maybe complexity or something like that where, okay, like, when there's an estate sale, one thing that estate lawyers have told me, like, estate sales can be a little bit more complicated. There are – tax implications shouldn't be a huge issue, but what is an issue is in estate sales, usually the number one goal of an estate sale is max value. Like, max, max, mm -hmm. max value. And so I do think 
that that is what we're seeing is that the the, the firm GSP out of um, uh, New York, they've got one job, and their job isn't to satisfy reporters like me who might be getting impatient or Ottawa fans who might be getting impatient. Their job is to maximize that sale price for the Melnick estate. And if it means an extra week or a couple extra days to squeeze out a few, what, what we might think is a small bit of money, but to them, if they can get this to, like, one thing I suddenly feel confident about, Haley, is I think that this team's going to sell for a billion dollars. Now, think about that. Like, like, last year, when I first wrote that the Ottawa Senators could sell, I had somebody tell me, don't be shocked if Ottawa sells for somewhere between 750 and 800. And, I, and, I, and this was like April, May of 2022. And I thought, what world are you living in? The Ottawa Senators get sell for 800 million, like 800 million when they just got valuated at 650 and Seattle got in for 650. I, I said, there's no, in my mind, I said, there's no way in the world Ottawa sells for 750 or eight. But I remember writing that in the spring summer of 2022 saying, people seem to think this will happen. You know, whatever, just letting you know. And here we are. And that number, I think, is going to be eclipsed. And it, it, it is wild to me because it makes you wonder if, if Ottawa's worth a billion, what are the New York Rangers worth? What are the Toronto Maple Leafs worth? What are some of these other franchises worth vis-a-vis Ottawa being a billion-dollar team? Yeah. It's going to be so interesting, any kind of, uh, you know, it seems silly to say, like, who's it's a copycat league. Who's going to go up for sale next? But I do wonder... Some guy's going to see that and go, oh, oh boy. I don't know. There's teams who are teetering on the edge. Not sure. Um, So it looks like the Sparks group is still raising funds. Uh, Ryan Reynolds pulled out, which seemed devastating for a lot of fans. Um, It's kind of crazy to think it's been six months since this process started in November. Almost seven now, I guess. I can't do math live on the radio. (laughs) It's been kind of a wild ride. When does this end? couple months, yeah. so, a couple so, weeks? Well, well, okay, so hopefully a couple days, but, I mean, I've probably said that on numerous radio stations uh, in the last couple of weeks, so I think my word means nothing at this point. I think people would, <laughs> would listen to me, honestly, and they'd be like, hey, guy, you said that two weeks ago. So I, I completely uh, understand the frustration with, you know, with, with me saying any sort of timeline or anybody's timeline because it's certainly exceeded anything that we were told to anticipate by people who I thought were fairly knowledgeable, and, and I, I still think they're knowledgeable. It just shows that this has been dragged out. Um, this sale, this team went for sale, Haley, on November the 4th. Mm. Okay? <laughs> it has now taken longer to sell the Ottawa Senators, two hundred and I think we're at 208 days or something like that, than it did to sell the Washington Commanders in the NFL. So think about that. Like, the Commanders, that was a really contentious sale, right, with with Dan Snyder basically having the franchise essentially ripped out of his, uh, out of his hands, and there was some you know, drama there. And there was, you know, now you're talking about a $6 billion sale. That took less time to execute than Ottawa's sale. So yeah. I think what's going to happen is they'll sell the team ideally by Friday, but it's going to be a conditional sale. Then it'll take anywhere from two to five weeks, you know. But I, I think it might be closer. It may have to be closer to the two or three weeks because you need to have somebody firmly in control of the wheel the week of the draft and free agency, right? Like you yeah. can't leave Ottawa in an uncertain spot that they don't know who the owner is and now it's draft day or it's free agency day or it's like, hey, 
Alex DeBrickett wants to make a decision, and you don't like you can't do that. You can't put Ottawa at a competitive disadvantage uh, against the other team. So I, I do have I'm holding out some hope for Ottawa fans that this will be resolved in a manner in which it will allow them to operate around free agency in the draft in a manner mm-hmm. in which you would expect any NHL team to, to operate. Right, and I think that was kind of one of the follow-up questions. You stole it right from me, is just looking at and analyzing, like, is this ownership delay going to impact the ability for the Sens to make meaningful improvements this offseason, right? Like, is it going to be Pierre Dorian making these decisions? Is DJ Smith going to be behind the bench next season? I think, you know, how are they going to upgrade their top six or their middle six? What about solidifying their top four, the goalie position? Like, is Pierre Dorian, you know, kind of working behind the scenes, still doing his thing, operating as if he's going to be the GM over the next year? Like, I think there's a lot of questions about what's going on there. It seems like the front office is just operating business as usual, but then there's all these spec- all these rumors and speculation about Kyle Dubas waiting to see what's happening over there. So it doesn't seem like a very, uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem super black and white about what's happening. No, there's a whole, there's lots of shades of gray here, and and and, and I think with, with with Dorian, I think he absolutely is operating uh, now under the you know the pretense that I am going to be the general manager at the draft, I am going to be the general manager at free agency, and I don't know and how he could think otherwise, right? Like mm-hmm. until somebody comes and tells him, hey, you're out, or hey, uh, we're we're adding somebody above you, or whatever, he's got to operate in the best interest of of, of the team, and so I, like I think he would have. Haley, the ability to do kind of minor tra- – like, he, they've signed a couple of uh, European free agents in and around the World Championships. Like, I think he can do that type of stuff. The DeBrinket one is one that I think is out of his pay grade. And, but that's – like, I think for any team in the NHL, your general manager usually has to take a contract that's – you know, and this would – let's say DeBrinket signs for $60 million, whatever the number is. With, with certain contracts, once you get over a certain number, an owner will say, okay, I'm going to need you to come to me with that. Like, if you're signing a guy for one year at $900,000, like, don't, don't waste my time. But you're mm-hmm. going to sign somebody for $8 million, or 8 times 8 whatever it is, like, you're going to need that run that by me. The question is for Pierre yeah. Dorian, let's say he speaks to Jeff Jackson, who is um, uh, Alex DeBrinkett's agent, and Alex is like, yeah, you know what, I will come back. Well, who does Pierre Dorian take that to? Like, right in the here and the now, technically he would take that to the estate uh, of Eugene Melnick that is helping run the team. But they're not going to be in charge of the team six weeks from now, so they can't really say, yeah, yeah, go ahead and sign off, because the new owner who's winning the wings might say, well, I don't want to sign that guy for $60 million. Like, I didn't sign off on that. So there is absolutely a holding pattern uh, on the bigger stuff. But I think the little stuff, if he was to make a move here or there, a small one, I think he showed by signing a couple of free agents uh, in May that he's got the ability to uh, to operate that way. What do you make of some of this Dubas Ottawa speculation? Do you think that's just people trying to will that into existence, or no, no, no? I think like I don't think it's an idea that's purely rooted in fantasy. Like like you you've been around this uh, long enough to know. Like sometimes you just hear random names added to coaching searches or GM searches. And, and part of that is people are doing other people favors by putting their name in the news cycle. I don't think that's the case. Here. Like, like Cal Dubas doesn't need his tires pumped to try and convince the Pittsburgh Penguins and Fenway sports to hire him. They know what he's all about. They, uh, you know, they would know. They don't need to think, oh, we better up the offer to Cal Dubas or he might go somewhere else. Like, I don't think 
the, the Dubas to Ottawa uh, rumors were created as a leverage play with Pittsburgh. Otherwise, I think he would have been mm-hmm. signed by Pittsburgh by now, right? Like, so yeah. I do believe that there is a path for Kyle Dubas to come to Ottawa. Absolutely. And you know what I wor- worry about is that quote, that, that sentence I just said to you, is one of those mm-hmm. sentences that like someone's going to take that sentence and put it on Twitter and just type out <laughs> Ian Mendes to, you know, Sports at 960. I see a path to Kyle Dubas to Ottawa. And yeah. I'm like, but uh-huh. you need some context. Taylor, so, Cam, yeah. get the on tweet it. ready. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Taylor's already tweeted. Taylor, she's already tweeted that out. Taylor, yeah, but, Taylor's but, been live tweeting this whole conversation yeah. and you're, yeah. you're over. But, it's done. Just go but on the here's the, pa- here, here's the path. And the path would be, I feel like uh, the one group that I could see this working with is the Kimmel family. The Kimmel family is the one that I think really wants a, uh, a, like a big hockey operations department, uh, big in, in analytics, really big. You know, I could see them having multiple AGMs. Uh, I could see a guy like Kyle Dubas coming in as the president of hockey operations. I could, I could absolutely see a scenario where somebody like Kyle Dubas comes in, Pierre Dorian is still there as the general manager, and Kyle's above. Like, I, there's so many things I can see. But I absolutely, with that particular ownership group, I do see a path for it. And, and I, I, I can't sit here and say with any degree of certainty about the other groups. I'm making a really educated guess on that one. But I would imagine if we get to a point where uh, there's a sale of the team and Kyle Dubas hasn't been scooped up by Pittsburgh, regardless of who the owner is in Ottawa, I think that's a conversation they'll, they'll probably have because uh, mm-hmm. while they may have a candidate in mind, the fact of the matter is as of, you know, uh, up until two weeks ago, Kyle Dubas wasn't a candidate or nobody yeah. thought he would be on the market. And he is now. So I think it would be who, whoever comes in to at least have the interview with him see what his vision and plan might be, see if it fits with your vision and plan, and, and kind of go from there. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Ian. I genuinely hope that you get to have a relaxing vacation and not have to do this in, you know, the Italian countryside or wherever you go. Uh, looking for Wi-Fi in Venice to, yeah. to send you a yeah, note hey, on. Do you, uh, excuse me, do you have a Wi-Fi password? Can you imagine saying that in, like, a little oh, cafe gotta, in Italy? They would look at I've you like Google you were Translate. had two heads. I've, yeah, I've got Google Translate on my phone, so I'll have to. Uh, yeah. yeah. How do you say Wi-Fi? How do you say internet in Italian? I don't Let know. Let me look this up really fast before you go. I think this is great content. Oh, I think okay. it's just internet. Is that? <laughs> yeah, you were right. This is great content. <laughs> Google Translate. It's just Wi-Fi. You probably just say it with a little accent. Yeah. See, and you worried. Oh. You worried that the uh, the chemistry wouldn't there uh, be there between yeah see? it's here we, we should uh, next time you come on the show <laughs> we, should, we should have uh, a debate about whether it's appropriate to kick an ice cube under the fridge or not yes we need to if bring you that drop to the ice cube just kick it under the fridge and walk away it's fine there won't spoken be mold. Like a, that's a myth spoken like a true renter that's what i always <laughs> said if you yeah actually and a reminder last day of the month Last day of the month yeah, or today. Yeah, I pay my or, rent to yeah, my landlord who's go. listening to me talk about all the mold that's under the fridge. That's right. <laughs> Water damage. Uh, all right, Ian. Go pack. Have fun on vacation. Thanks for doing this. Okay. Yeah, thanks a ton. <laughs> okay, there goes Ian Mendez. Covers the Ottawa Senators for the Athletic. Lots of stuff there on who, who could buy the team, when this is going to happen, some of the Kyle Dubas speculation. We're still waiting to see 
if and where he lands after being out in Toronto, we know now that Brad True Living is in with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, that's the first Flames GM that has left the organization and got a GM job elsewhere. Fun fact. I saw that from uh, Ryan Pike today. You hear him on the station all the time. So we can dig into uh, Tree Living in Toronto a little bit more tomorrow on the show after his introductory press conference. Uh, but coming up next here on Hockey Central, we're going to be joined by Chris Mason, former NHLer, now an analyst uh, on the Nashville Predators for Bally Sports. Dive in on uh, what is Barry Trotz, the GM, going to be like? I'm curious because there's some quotes out there today from his availability and from the press release about Barry Trotz talking about wanting to be a more offensive team, uh, looking at the power play. Barry Trotz, the GM, seeming to be a little bit different than Barry Trotz, the defensive juggernaut coach. Uh, so we'll talk about Barry Trotz, talk about the Andrew Brunette news. He's hired in Nashville as a head coach with Chris Mason coming up next on Hockey Central 960 here on Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, Producer Cam tried to set the vibe. This is our Nashville segment of the show. This is straight on Broadway from Nashville, from the (laughs) arena playlist. It's authentic as it gets. (laughs) Close your eyes and imagine you're at Bridgestone Arena. Barry Trotz is in a suite. And Andrew Burnett, is behind the bench. Some changes in Nashville. Let's break it down. We got uh, Chris Mason here on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline, former NHLer, now an analyst for the Preds on Bally Sports. Chris, how are we doing today? Thanks for doing this. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. We're doing uh, we're doing great. It's nice. I like that. I was just closing my eyes as well. Broadway's, uh, <laughs> I don't know, about half an hour drive from here, and I don't go down there too often, so that was a nice visual. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank uh, thank you to producer Cam for, for setting the scene for everybody. Now Anytime. We're, we're really, we're ready Thanks, for Cam. this. <laughs> um, so, Chris, obviously some news uh, made official in Nashville today. Andrew Brunette is announced as the new head coach of the Nashville Predators. He's going to be replacing John Hines. He had one year left on his contract. You would have uh, played one. You would have played for a short time in 98-99 with Andrew Brunette. And uh, we read this little stat earlier. There's some fun history here. So it would have been uh, the first coach in Preds history in his first managerial role in his career has handed the coaching reins to the, to the player who scored the first goal in Predators history back in 98. So lots of connections with Barry Trotz, Andrew Burnett, yourself. What do we make of today's news? Yeah, there's you know it's, it's crazy, actually. They, uh, David Poyle drafted Andrew Burnett when uh, he was in Washington Capitals, and uh, oh, him and Barry goodness. Trotz. Barry Trotz is the coach in Portland. They won uh, an American League championship when Andrew Burnett was obviously a top player with the Portland Pirates. So, um you know, it's not surprising, uh, the news. I know that, you know, Barry wanted to, uh, you know, do his due diligence. And, you know, this is obviously his first, uh, you know, shot at being a general manager. So uh, he was, you know, very upfront. And the, the timeline he kind of set uh, when he was going into this process, he said was he was going to make a decision at the end of May. I know there's been a lot of talk about, well, you kind of strung – John Hines a lot uh, along for a while there and, and, you know, kind of sitting there in limbo, but I think there was a lot of, you know, communication there about what the process was. And um, at the end of the day, uh, Barry at the press conference said today they, that Andrew Burnett was our guy. There's a lot of history there. 
um, a lot of the same ideals, I guess, in terms of strategy of what direction the team wants to go, which is kind of a more offensive-minded uh, direction, playing faster and all that, you know, those types of things, kind of new age uh, style of hockey. And and uh, Burnett was his guy. What was uh, what was Andrew like when you got to maybe know him a little bit as a player? What uh, what should we know about Andrew Burnett as maybe how he's going to be different as a coach than he was as a player? Maybe there's some similarities that are going to translate. What uh, what do you know about him? Well, what I, I knew about him, I, I didn't play a lot of games that season, but I was up for quite a bit of time um, when uh, Mike Dunn was, was hurt quite frequently. So I got to you know go up, and that was my first you know ever experience at the NHL level. And uh, he was one of the guys. He's a, I think he's two or three years older than me. And uh, I, I really found that he was a very good communicator. And one of the things I noticed about him, obviously, you know, back when I was coming up, it was intimidating as a young player to, you know, be around veteran players and, and that type of thing. And I, I found that he had, uh, he had the respect of, of the older guys and he was a really good kind of, you know, go between for the younger, the younger guys loved him because he included everybody and made you feel part of the team, but also, you know, was, he had a voice with the older guys too. So I feel, you know, that's, you play with certain guys along the way that you just think, well, one day this guy's going to be a coach. And, and he was one of those guys just because, mm. you know, he kind of took ownership of doing that as a player to the younger players. And um, I think going into the situation with the predators, that's one of the things um, I think that's going to be, you know, really important because they've got the older players, but they want to get younger. So you have to you kind of sell that idea to the, you know, Philip Forsberg just signed an eight-year deal last year and to the players that were, you know, here, part of that core group that was, you know, compete for Stanley Cups, winning president trophies and all that kind of stuff to, hey, we're, we're retooling or rebuilding, whatever you want to call it. Everybody calls it something, uh, something different. So I think he'll be a, a good guy. Um, a, a great guy, actually, uh, to be able to, you know, to blend that and, and make that work and, and kind of build that camaraderie. And, you know, him and Barry Trotz, the same thing. They they kind of know what it was like at the beginning, and they want to continue that kind of vision of uh, the predator way is what they call it. Well, I think it's quite interesting because we saw at the end of the season for the Preds this year with some injuries mounting, there was there was a really nice youthful burst there. Obviously, you'd like to have your your star players at least when we're looking at the skaters because UC Saros was unbelievable at the tail end of the season as he typically is um but there was a nice youthful booth there were some young players who stepped in the lineup and were making meaningful contributions and that ended with the Nashville Predators making a run for the playoffs when everybody thought that they were toast um do you think it's going to be important for Trotz and Brunette to kind of blend in some of those young players we saw last year with some of the more established stars on this roster yeah, I absolutely do. And I think uh, a lot of the young players that came up really made a, you know, a good name for themselves. And you don't often get to to see your prospects uh, in that capacity in, in major roles on the power play. Usually it's, you get called up and you're kind of filling in, um, you know, in certain situations, you might take longer looks at other guys, but because of the injury situation, they got to take, you know, real good looks at a lot of these young players. Um, I think a lot of, obviously you mentioned Saros, he was, he was unbelievable. And I think, you know, a lot of the teams, the opponents, I think when you're looking at the lineup, you're looking at all these guys and you don't even know who half the roster is. You yeah. might have uh, some of that success might have been benefited to, you know, kind of sneaking up on opponents a little bit. But 
but these, these guys perform and that's you know that's no knock against them because that's that's not their problem if, if you underestimate someone you know that's the other person's uh, issue but it, it'll be a different story it'll be a lot harder i think for these guys coming back you know once you you do it once you got to do it again and people know who you are so I, I think there's gonna be some really good competition at camp with a lot of these younger players that that did some good things and They've got some, you know, Barry Trotz has a lot of cap space in the summer, which a lot of teams don't. So he has the ability to, you know, to kind of maybe work some deals that way. He mentioned potentially looking at moving up in the draft, um, mm-hmm. you know, wants some really good prospects here in the next couple of years. And um, there's a lot of flexibility. So David Poyle left him with a lot of options. They, they were able to move out a lot of salary at the, at the deadline there, which gives uh, Trotz the uh, ability to have some, you know, kind of mold the team and, and kind of fill in the pieces that, that he wants moving forward. I saw the quote today from Barry Trotz and his availability, um, I assume down at Bridgestone Arena, talking about the draft and talking about how he told his scouts to take some big swings, take some high-end swings on on guys early. I can find you the third and fourth line guys. No problem. Go and get me some guys that could get people out of their seats. And then there was also the quote in the press release about wanting to be a more offensive team. And I'm just thinking, okay, so Barry Trotz, the GM seems a little bit different than Barry Trotz, the coach. We're talking about offense first, take the big swings, you know, go for go for the high-flying skill. And Andrew Burnett being hired as the head coach, we know that his Florida Panthers uh, were a big rush team, a big offensive team. Seems like uh, seems like Barry, the GM, is a little different. It's it's kind of fun. I mean, his his teams when he was behind the bench were were fun as well, but I guess in different ways. Yeah, exactly. Right. He's got, uh, I remember the old pesky Prads. I mean, we were, I think our salary cap, we were under 30 million. So we had to scratch and claw for every point and uh, with the Islanders, obviously, but I, I think, you know, a lot of that's personnel based. I think he, he went a little bit more offensive uh, with the caps and he ended up winning. Obviously you got Ovechkin and Backstrom and all those guys, a little, little different look coming at you. But uh, I think with the, the, the personnel that he's got and, and the youth, and the skill in this lineup and the way that uh, I think they've built their the prospect pool, that's kind of the direction. Um, I think the league's trying to go that way. You, obviously, you know, defense, you're not going to win a championship without defending, but I, I think, you know, they've got that covered as well and in, in terms of the, you know, the, the systems and, um, you know, obviously the, the history with Barry and, and Andrew Burnett is uh, – you know, one that's uh, a young coach who's, who's actually, you know, ready for this. And that's one of the things they talked about was, you know, look, we're not going to be run and gun type of hockey team. You just, I want to play with a puck. And then when we don't have the puck, I want to work as hard as we can to get it back. So it's not like I just don't want to spend a lot of time defending. And a lot of that's easier said than done, especially if you, you decide to go with the younger roster. But those young guys actually did a really good job uh, under John Hines um, at the end of last year, who, who did a good job with the club as well, kind of preparing those young players for you know the NHL level and and kind of the detail that that they need moving forward so uh it should be you know exciting and, and to see what they they do with this and how offensive they get they got the right guys and all their you know their their star players if you will come back healthy and ready to go it should be uh it should be exciting hockey here in Nashville the big secret about playing good defense is being in the offensive zone all the time <laughs> there you go there you go. Seems maybe like they it. can. Maybe you, it does. And a lot of those teams. I mean, you, you know, you've seen the teams that are able to pressure in the offensive zone. And as soon as you get the other team gets out, they just have to go change. And 
it's uh, that's kind of the way New Jersey was, and you know Burnett was an assistant there, and, and that team was uh, they were exciting to watch. Obviously, lost in the playoffs, but um, that's the, that's the way the the hockey uh, you know is trending. It always seems to go in in trends, and right now it's trending high octane offense. So here we go. Who are some of the players that you think you know? could have more to give offensively in a, in the system that Brunette is going to implement in Nashville? Uh, well, off, I, I think it's, you know, it's good to talk about young guys and there's a lot of, you know, there's another guy, Yoakam Kemmel, who's a uh, draft. who was their first rounder last year. is having a great run with the admirals. He's an offensive guy. He's that, you know, right-handed, you know, that power play, the Stamkos Ovechkin type of a shot. Um, but but I think you know if the Predators are going to try to make this retool um, as seamless as possible and have success and maybe take a run at you know getting into the playoffs, I, I think you need Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, and uh, Philip Forsberg to really step up. I, I think those those are really key players. Ryan Johansson, obviously a centerman, uh, you know he, he's got a ton of skill and. You know Barry said at the end of the year, Trot said one of the things that I've challenged him is I need him to play faster. So that's kind of been a, a knock on him a little bit throughout his career. Uh, but the, the pace of the game, he's such a smart player. He's so good at the puck. He has the ability to slow it down, but he's got to be able to keep up to all these, you know, these young players that, that play the game really fast. And, uh, you know, Matt Duchesne is a player that he can play fast. I think sometimes, uh, you know, he's going to have an, he, he maybe battles with the, you know, the defensive style of play that's been uh, implemented here the last, um, you know, few years he had a career year uh, a couple years ago uh, but he's another guy that I think you know he, he's got the potential and he's got the ability to you know to carry a team and, and Philip Forsberg I think should be a perennial 40 goal scorer you know he's one of those guys that has that ability as well but it's it's the consistency with that group and Roman Yossi he's the Norris Trophy he's you don't have to worry about him he's going to bring what he brings every single season but those, those three guys in particular are the ones for me that have to you know, really step up and lead the way. And if you get those young guys, um, you know, doing what they can do or just at least contributing uh, at the level that, you know, you're hoping they can in their growth, in their development, then I think they got a chance to, to get in the playoffs and, and do something fun. Well, it's going to be exciting to watch. As you mentioned, we'll see if they maybe move up in the draft, see if they move some people out, you know, weaponize their cap space a little bit, add some more, some more pieces in the off season. Uh, Excited to see what Barry Trotz continues to do in his first time as GM with the Nashville Predators. Thanks for doing this, Chris. Thank you. I just have to give a quick shout-out to my, my best buddy, who's actually a big, uh, huge fan of the show uh, when oh. he's playing Fortnite. Ryan Tobler, he coaches the Black Folk, uh, Bulldogs in the uh, in the AJHL there. So he's he said he's going to take a take a few minutes out from Fortnite and listen to the segment. So a big <laughs> Fortnite. <fan> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for, I'm sure he'll appreciate the shout out and uh, thanks for doing oh, that. And thanks oh. for, for joining. When you said a fan of this show, I was okay. like, what do you mean? Is this the wrong show? We listen. <laughs> no, he listens to you guys all the time. He, he actually texts me. He goes, are you on 960? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, how'd you know? And he's tuning in. So he's, he's listening awesome. now. Well, so, tune in for, thank you, guys. thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, there it. goes, Bye-bye. there goes Chris Mason, former NHLer, now analyst for the Preds on Bally Sports. That's the um, I don't know. Someone says, uh, you know, I, I I apologize to his friend that's listening to the show, listening for Chris Mason. I need to uh, improve my my self talk.
It was a good chat with Chris Mason. I always appreciate him coming on the show. And that conversation brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take out or delivery at 403-248-3344. A little bit of reporting, too, as we kind of end the Nashville Predators conversation. It looks like John Hines, who was just let go by the Nashville Predators, uh, is already talking to the New York Rangers who have a coaching vacancy after letting Gerard Gallant go. So the coaching carousel goes round and round. If we want to continue to connect the dots, Gerard Gallant's been connected with Calgary. Looks like so is Mark Savard. Obviously some internal candidates for the Flames coaching job. Uh, Mitch Love, Kirk Muller, Ryan Huska. So we'll continue to track that as well. Um, I did have Craig Conroy on my podcast at The Athletic, on um, The Athletic Hockey Show, and he did tell us that they were going to be um, starting the process this week. So it looks like the Flames are indeed talking to some people. Some names are starting to pop up. Uh, and we'll continue to track that and, and all the news and notes around the league between now and when the Stanley Cup final starts. We'll start to preview that a little bit more as we get closer to Saturday. That's all coming up. And the rest of the week here on Hockey Central on Sports at 960 The Fan.